And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Drive starts at the one and looking for a little breathing room and they get that and plenty more. Derrick Henry still going. Stays in bounds. He might go. 99 yards for the touchdown. This is going back to Joe Johnson. Four seconds left. Double overtime. Nets looking for the win. Johnson the step back. He buries it. Joe Johnson. Kept third man high. Svechnikov. Now Walmart. Andre Svechnikov again in back of the goal. He stops in a dive. Lacrosse moves. What a goal. Who it is. With the 10th pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Kansas City Chiefs select Patrick Mahomes, the second wow. quarterback. Two men, one Vikings fan, one Bills fan, Coming to you with the second season of Guys Like Sports. And hello, I'm Curtis Henry. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Rose. And we're back. We had a little bit of a hiatus. Took a couple months off. If you didn't know, there was a whole ass pandemic thing going on. We took a step back. But now we are here. We're ready. We have a lot of big news coming at you. We're going to go through a lot of stuff here in that first episode of the second season. I'm really excited about it. Michael Rose, what's going on? Man, I'm fired up. I'm ready to be back, ready to be talking about sports. Right, I can see, Curtis, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Sports have return dates, which is it feels so great to say that. So I'm ready to just have sports back in my life and be chatting it up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm real excited about sports. I know Mike, this guy, I know he's already booked it into his calendar to visit Del Lago. So the light at the end of his tunnel is blowing 500 to to $1,000 on sports at the end of this month, but having a great time doing it. Win this time. I am due. <laughs> I'm due. You're due, he says. Okay, we'll see about that one, Michael. Get back. You can get back to the listeners in a couple weeks and document your experience. We can do a little Mike's gambling corner section of the show for people to enjoy. But today, action-packed episode. So we'll run through the uh, synopsis for what we're going to be talking about. We got some big contract news out of the NFL. We're going to be debating on the, not the age-old, but since the circa 2010 debate of whether or not running backs should be paid in the National Football League a second contract. Uh, We'll be talking about coronavirus restart dates for this month and next as all of the four major sports are going to be making an impact on what should be a magnificent reopening. But it won't be without its barriers, and we'll get into that. The basketball tournament, I don't know if people caught that over the past few weeks. It was marvelous television. Mike's going to tell you a lot about it. I'm going to tell you a couple things I picked up on, and we're going to wrap it up. But I'm real excited to kind of delve into what we have planned for this first episode. So, Mike, question for you. You ready to jump into this? I'm, I've been ready for since March. I've been ready since March, since the NCAA tournament was ripped away from me. All right. Well, today, hot off the press, we're going to jump in with some NFL because you know us. We love talking football here. 
contract news dropped and we had some big franchise tag negotiations. For those that didn't know, franchise tag guys had until 4 p.m. Eastern time today to sign deals uh, based on extensions. So the franchise tag, if you're not familiar, it's basically a one-year deal uh, that locks in players to their current teams at the price of the average of the top five players at their position for one season. It's non-negotiable. Players can show up or they can hold out and lose free agent eligibility. So it's a way for teams to really put a hold on the guys they want to keep on the roster. Uh, Everybody gets one tag. Derrick Henry won the lottery to the perspective of some, but comparatively, he might have taken a deal for the Titans. Uh, We'll talk about that. What do you think of the Derrick Henry deal today where Henry mustered up a contract for four years and 50 million, 25 million of that is guaranteed money? Well, for a guy uh, in Derrick Henry who before this past season had one season of over 1,000 yards and uh, really had not produced at the level many expected in the NFL, and obviously he, he knew his contract was coming up and he balled out this year, led the NFL in rushing, carried the Titans in the playoffs. He gets this big contract in uh, four years, $50 million, only $25 million guaranteed. And I got to tell you, Curtis, when I saw this news, I was absolutely shocked. Because I really, like, it wasn't even on my radar as a thought today. I knew the franchise deadline was today. Derrick Henry was not a name I even considered as a possibility of signing a contract today. So the fact Titans, you know, they lock into Derrick Henry, and they also locked into Ryan Tannehill earlier this offseason. So the Titans are pushing all their chips in the middle of the table and saying, all right, this is what we got. This is what we're going to roll with. And, um, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that, I think running backs getting paid is absolutely one of the dumbest things you could do as an NFL organization. And I think Derrick Henry has maybe not a lot of NFL carries, but overall over the course of his career, even going back to high school where he was getting the ball more than anybody ever has in high school football. And then in college where he was putting up 400 carry seasons last year at Alabama. It's a lot of wear and tear on this guy, especially just the way he runs. He, he is going for contact on every carry. He's not a guy who's, making guys miss, he's just he's just trying to run through you. So and he doesn't catch passes either. So really I think it's a a bold move by the Tennessee Titans to commit to Derrick Henry. And I mean quite frankly, I think he's gonna get cut in two years and we're gonna be talking about Darrington Evans starting running back of the Tennessee Titans. So I wanted to talk winners and losers when it comes to this deal. I think an obvious winner is Derrick Henry and his agent because when you look at the free agent class coming up in 2021, it is loaded with names right now. And off the top of my head, I know I'm going to miss a few, but Kamara's deal is ending because he was a third-round pick and he doesn't have a fifth-year option. Dalvin Cook, his deal is coming up. He's a second-round pick. Most of these guys aren't going to have that fifth-year option. Uh, And then you have other guys on the list. Those were the big two. I think Aaron Jones is coming up as well. And Mike, I love me some Aaron Jones absolutely love Aaron Jones and you might disagree with that take but Aaron Jones 19 touchdowns last year fantastic player when he's healthy let's see who am I forgetting not only do we have this deep free agent class and I'm gonna pull up a couple other names because I know I'm disrespecting uh the entire list Joe Mixon Chris Carson our two other ones, James Connors contract is up next year uh Leonard Fournette Kenyon Drake Todd Gurley Marlon Mack Philip Lindsay like just an absolutely loaded class. And then on top of that, we have some uber talented rookies coming into the league. 
uh, slated for 2021 because I know we both like Travis Etienne out of Clemson, Chubba Hubbard from uh, Oklahoma State University. He's fantastic, and uh, he, he's going to – he reminds me of a Mark Ingram type. I think he's going to last in the league a long time because if you watch him play, he's a contact-oriented runner, but he doesn't take a lot of big hits. And he's a really strong, low-to-the-ground guy, and I think his running style translates a lot to the league. And then you have a guy like Najee Harris coming out of Alabama who can do it all. So running back in 2021 is going to look radically different than it does right now. So for Derrick Henry to get this deal done is a huge W because A, financial security, and B, the Titans are obligated to feature him for at least the next two years. I don't know the details of the contract. Like Mike said, we're going to assume that there's an out for Tennessee probably in 2022 or 2023. But Derrick Henry gets a huge W because he's avoiding that running back carousel that's coming. However, it begs the question, is it worth it to pay running backs? So I had Derrick Henry as a winner. A loser in this deal is Darrington Evans because I didn't expect Derrick Henry to re-sign in Tennessee. So Darrington Evans was looking at a feature role potentially starting in 2021 if he flashed this year as Henry's backup. And I think another loser is the Tennessee Titans long-term if Derrick Henry doesn't have longevity like this contract needs him to have. So to maximize Ryan Tannehill, he thrives off of a strong running game. Henry had 1,700 yards last year. Tannehill was PFF's number one rated quarterback. There was a correlation. Ryan Tannehill throwing off a play action last year was phenomenal. A.J. Brown catching deep balls was phenomenal. And they were able to do that because teams were stacking the box to protect against Derrick Henry. So from that perspective, it makes sense because the most valuable thing to Ryan Tannehill might not be the offensive line. It might not be uh, a receiver. It might be having a strong running back to wear defenses down and stack the box like Derrick Henry. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, another thing, you know, Derrick Henry definitely gets a win, but the Titans in terms of the language, uh, because I'm confirming now that those first two seasons are the ones that have most of the guaranteed money in it. So it's pretty much an out for them after two years. So really they do get a good deal in the grand scheme of things. But honestly, I think if you just look at it from a perspective of running backs nowadays being also significant pass catching options, Derrick Henry probably got right around what he deserves because if if you look at it last year, even when he led the league in rushing guys like Ezekiel Elliott or Christian McCaffrey, who are the two highest paid backs in the league, they both had more total yards last season than Derrick Henry. So Henry slots in right, right outside that top five, I believe in terms of average uh, annual salary. So I think he probably got what he deserves based on what he brings to the table at this point. And we'll see how it plays out over the course of, the next few years and how deep he can take this contract yeah for sure and Derrick Henry we look at four years 50 million you could make the case based on last season that Derrick Henry is a top five running back he slotted just outside the top five as you mentioned in salary and he came out today with a statement saying I wanted to reward the team meaning being the Titans that drafted me when 31 other teams passed so I think it's incredibly likely that Derrick Henry could have leveraged the Titans to get a little bit more. Again, it's speculation, especially with the 21 uh, carousel that's coming up at the running back position. But I think he could have gotten more. I think the market says 
he might have been worth more because look at these contracts. Zeke signed six years for $90 million, and you can't convince me that's a good contract, okay? Christian McCaffrey signed four years for 64 with $36 million uh, guaranteed. Le'Veon Bell, you want to talk about fleecing someone in a contract? At tw- age 27, Le'Veon Bell got $1 million less in guaranteed money than Christian McCaffrey did at age 23. That is ridiculous. So shout out Le'Veon Bell's agent uh, for working that. Todd Gurley got 57 mil a couple years ago. We know how that turned out. David Johnson uh, inked a 40 million deal a couple years ago. He's now playing for a different team. So the big running back contracts have been, I mean, you're rolling the dice. Right now, the only contract that doesn't look god-awful is McCaffrey's. And that's without him playing a snap on the contract yet. But given his age and what he does for that team, I think you can justify it. Because if if the wheels fall off for him at running back, I think you can make Christian McCaffrey into a slot receiver and still get elite production out of him catching 90 to 100 balls. So, yeah, Christian McCaffrey's contract, honestly, if you look at it, Curtis, it's probably the best deal any back got because with the 36 million in guaranteed money, it's well below Zeke and it's even below Todd Gurley and, you know, 64 million over four years. And he does everything. You know, you can make a case Christian McCaffrey, not only a top five running back in this league, but also a top 15 wide receiver when he's out there for the Panthers. So thousand thousand last year, uh, as much as I don't like, paying running backs, that deal is without a doubt the best value on the board in terms of big money running backs uh, that have been paid recently. I agree 100%. And McCaffrey, he's still young enough where, you know, we get to that. I I think the the new age 30 for running backs is about age 27, where we get worried about whether or not they're going to be worth the money. McCaffrey still has a long way to go. Uh, in this, I believe it's his age 24 season this year. And, and so he's got a good three years before he gets into that bubble of nearing 30 with, with an intense workload in the NFL, uh, with pulling him back a little bit. But we need to talk a little bit different contract negotiation because Derrick Henry, a franchise guy who got his deal done at the deadline today, Dak Prescott did not. So, Mike, what do you have for me as far as whether or not this move makes sense for Dak Prescott and for the Dallas Cowboys. Man, the Cowboys have just completely played themselves in these damn negotiations the last two years. They should have just signed this guy to whatever he asked for last year. Forget this year. Sign him last year, and they would have been in great shape. And now Dak, Dak watched Patrick Mahomes get $45 million a year, and he probably chuckled to himself because he said, well, I can play on the tag this year, and I can just come back next year and play on the tag again, and it's going to be even more money. So – Right now, Dak has all the leverage in the world. And even if I don't believe that Dak Prescott is a quarterback you can go win Super Bowls with, but they should have been paid this guy. I mean, it's just a matter of what the market looks like at that position and where the Cowboys are now headed with the potential for Watson and, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson to be getting extensions here soon. You just – you don't want to – keep waiting if you have to pay your quarterback because the longer you wait the higher it goes and it doesn't really matter if you have a Patrick Mahomes or if you have a Kirk Cousins the number's going to keep going up that's just the way it works and you know I remember my my 
one thing that I always go back to with quarterback contracts is I remember when Jimmy Garoppolo got a massive deal with the 49ers. And it was before he basically – he hadn't even started 16 games in the NFL at that point. And everyone was like, wow, $28 million per year is like about what it was at. And people were like, wow, how could you pay a guy that much money like this? And if you look at it now, Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is one of the best quarterback contracts in the league because we got guys like Patrick Mahomes getting $45 million now. We got $30 million plus all over the place. And, you know, he's sitting there on his $27, $28 million per year contract. And the reason that the Niners are in that position with that contract is because they just got it done right away. Like, if you have a quarterback, and the Cowboys have been pretty, pretty consistent in saying, Dak's our guy. We believe in Dak. If you believe in Dak, just pay the dude already. Like, there's just no reason for this. It's just absolutely stupid. So, Dak, he feels great. He's going to watch Watson sign an extension probably here soon. Just going to make the, the franchise tag go up even more next year. And so, either he's going to get an extension worth more money than he wanted before, or he's just going to play on the tag again next year, and then he can go in free agency and tell the Cowboys to, to fuck themselves. I mean, that's kind of, kind of where it's at at this point because the Cowboys have just been complete morons through the whole situation. So the Dallas Cowboys, to me, and I agree with just about everything you just said, the Dallas Cowboys, to me, financially right now, are one of the most mismanaged franchises in the NFL because they just unloaded $90 million for the next six years, $50 million guaranteed on a goddamn running back. They unloaded $100 million on Amari Cooper, and then they turned around after they unloaded that money on Cooper, and they drafted C.D. Lamb, who – A, he's going to be fantastic. We both are really high on C.D. Lamb. But B, he suddenly makes that Cooper (laughs) uh, investment look horrible unless they can unload Cooper's contract to another NFL team because the Cowboys are way over-invested at wide receiver now, too. you got to think they have to pay Michael Gallup in the next two years, too, because he's a guy they like a lot. So they're going to see pieces drop by the wayside, either in free agency or elsewhere. This Dak Prescott deal, he's going to be making Patrick Mahomes money. I have to believe. Maybe not 10 years worth of Patrick Mahomes money, but he's going to get $40 million or more per year. And I think in the last six months, he was asking for 34 or 35 per year. And that was outrageous to, to Dallas. So they absolutely played themselves. And even if he has to pull the Kirk Cousins strategy to play on the franchise tag for two years before the franchise tag becomes too much of a burden to have a guy locked up for one year and you're paying him $47 million, <laughs> he's going to get a huge contract with a lot of guaranteed money. And right now, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be in the five to six year, $250 million range for Dak Prescott. It's a little high, but here's what I'll say. Because Dak has been pretty consistent. He wants a four-year deal. That's been one of the big hang-ups on this. Which, if you're Dallas, I don't know why you don't just sign him. Like, why do you need it to be a five-year deal? It doesn't make any sense. But, anyways, he wants a four-year deal. And I don't think he's going to quite get 40, but I think he's probably going to get 37, 38 million because I think Patrick Mahomes is in a different stratosphere. And if he goes to the Cowboys and asks for 40 million, they'll probably just chuckle and just go draft someone else because Jerry Jones really just doesn't care. He'll just go draft somebody. He's nuts. So, <laughs> he, like, he was ready to draft Johnny Manziel. Like, he, he's wild. So, he'll just draft someone. But I'm just, I just laugh because I go and look at the Cowboys team right now and you look at the salaries on this team. And everyone is locked in except Dak Prescott. It is the most 
backwards setup of an organization I've ever seen. Because normally you see it go one of two ways. You lock in your quarterback and then you build in everything else around it, or you have the rookie quarterback and then you give everybody the big contracts around them and go try and win a Super Bowl. Dallas is doing neither. They're just signing everyone else and then not <laughs> signing their quarterback, who is not on a rookie deal. <laughs> so they're just like, yeah, screw conventional logic. We'll just pay Dak the franchise tag every year while we lock up everybody else through 2024. Because literally, Demarcus Lawrence, Amari Cooper, Tyrone Smith, Ezekiel Elliott, Zach Martin, Jalen Smith, Lael Collins, Blake Jarwin. All of these players are locked up through the year 2024 at least. Blake Jarwin. They paid Blake Jarwin before they paid Dak Prescott. Priorities, man. I just don't understand. And most of these guys, I mean, even the guys who aren't locked up through 2024 or whatever, pretty much everyone in – on the team that matters is locked up at least past this season, except for Dak Prescott. It's yeah. just absurd what the Cowboys are attempting to do. In their... Meanwhile, they were eight and eight last year. So it's not like this was even working. It's not like it was a good idea. And they came to this offseason and said, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the thing about Dak's deal is, yeah, he's going to end up getting more money. So you're pegging him at the, Four year, uh, probably a hundred and sixty million dollar range. Um, I think I, I subsequently he might get more than that because Patrick Mahomes' deal, no one else is going to command ten million or ten years for five hundred. Yeah, he's getting ten million dollars and, and then four hundred ninety more. Uh, ten years for five hundred million dollars. No one's going to command that because Patrick Mahomes is type different. Lamar Jackson might get close if the Ravens win a Super Bowl. But for now, it's going to be Mahomes' money and no one else's. Guys like Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, he's gonna, his contract's going to – he just got an extension, I think, last year, but he's still going to be up for an extension in the next couple of years. So that's going to be interesting. Deshaun Watson is going to be due, uh, due for an extension. And then the next rookie cohort as far as Josh Allen, Darnold, and even when Kirk Cousins' three-year deal expires in Minnesota, those – six or seven guys are going to start seeing contracts in that six-year, $200 million-plus range. They're going to want – just signed his extension. Oh, he signed another extension? Yeah. Good, good on him. Honestly, if there's one guy in the world that deserves money, it's Kirk Cousins to me because Washington screwed him over for <laughs> two years and longer than that because they refused to pay him when he was on his rookie deal. bad anyways. Exactly. They played themselves. So in a couple years, right, Patrick Mahomes, even if he's still the highest paid player in football, is going to look like he's underpaid. And that's why the Chiefs paid him now and paid him handsomely because they understand this market share is going to change. People are talking about the sale cap going down because of coronavirus. Let me tell you something. The NFL has a TV contract renewal with all of its stations being Fox, CBS, NBC, and ESPN coming up by 2022 for all of those networks. So the NFL is going to see a huge uptick in revenue because once the NFL resumes, ratings are going to be so high for these games without fans in stadiums, and the NFL is going to leverage that to get more money. That's exactly what's going to happen. So the NFL salary cap is going to skyrocket and QB inflation is going to go off the charts. And Patrick Mahomes by 2025 might be the seventh highest paid quarterback in the NFL. 
that's the reality of the situation. So I don't know if you care to chime in, but people aren't taking these things into consideration when they talk about what's going on with the QBs and their contracts and specifically why the hell Dak Prescott isn't getting paid. Also, by the way, I don't care if Patrick Mahomes makes $20 million more than any quarterback in the league for the entire length of his contract because he's worth it because he's literally that much better than everyone else. I don't know if anyone watched the playoffs this year, but the Chiefs were losing by double digits in every game, and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, I just, I just want to remind everyone of that. They were down 24 nothing to Houston and won by 20. And let's, just, won- let's just note, it's not like Houston is being quarterbacked by – you know, uh, Joe Flacco, like current day Joe Flacco, not Super Bowl Joe Flacco, or Case Keenum or something. It's Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's pretty damn good at what he does. Deshaun Watson's going to get paid real well when his contract comes up. And the, Patrick Holmes is like, oh, I'll spot you 24 and win by 20. Like, that's just one of the dumbest things I've ever watched in my life. I remember watching that game because I had a bet on the Titans to win the Super Bowl, and I'm like, wow, the Chiefs could lose, and it could be Texans-Titans, and I have a chance. And then Patrick Mahomes was just like, you thought. And at that moment, I as soon as the Chiefs started coming back, I just watched all of the life get sucked out of me. I'm like, I have no chance. So I was hyped about that game for a different reason. You and I – uh, we had about a 25-minute conversation after the Texans beat the Buffalo Bills. And I said, yes, the Texans barely got out against Buffalo, but now they're playing with house money going to Kansas City. Like, this is going to be a competitive game. I think the Texans can win. Y'all laughed at me. So when they jumped up 24-0, I was in everybody's inbox. And I was like, you see my boy Deshaun Watson balling out there? Let's go. And then Patrick Mahomes threw like a dart to Sammy Watkins for 70 yards and it was 24-7. And I texted back and I was like, LOL, never mind. Which <laughs> is kind of where it went. And I, I remember I was at work when the game was being played. I left work and I drove out to, to Brockport that night. And when I left work, it was still kind of close. And when I got to Brockport and turned the TV on, like Kansas City was up by like 14. And then I ate dinner and came back and they were up by 20. I'm just like, this is, this is jokes. They just don't stop scoring. Yeah. So I think Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes – I think the AFC is going to be an uber competitive conference for the foreseeable future, but Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, this could be the start of the next great dynasty in the national football league. Uh, Any closing thoughts on just Dak's contract situation, the Dallas Cowboys or quarterback money in the foreseeable, foreseeable future. Pay Dak Prescott Dallas. You're a bunch of idiots. One, two, Patrick Mahomes induct him into the hall of fame tomorrow. Patrick Mahomes, Hall of Famer tomorrow. We love Patty Mahomes here at Guys Like Sports. Uh, moving on, we, t- we alluded to it earlier on. Sports are coming back, and this is a huge fucking deal, so let's talk about it. We have the MLB slated to come back on July, uh, July 23rd or 24th, which is next weekend. We have the NBA returning on July 31st down in Orlando at the bubble. Uh, the MLS actually restarted last week with the MLS's back tournament. The NL, the NHL, excuse me, is coming back August 1st, and the NFL is scheduled to proceed as normal. So some training camps will be opening up within the next 10 days. Michael, I am so excited about all of this, but I think we need to pump the brakes as a society because I think all of these sports returning 
has to happen with the caveat that we as fans understand that at any moment, a league could pull the plug on this because really this is just so unprecedented and really America has done a god-awful job at containing the coronavirus. Yes. So let me just, my first note is the MLS did a terrible job naming their tournament. It was the least creative name ever. The MLS is back tournament. Give me a break. Yeah, it's like Mike Rose named that or something. Pretty much. That would be something I would name. Horrible. Um, but let's let's just talk about a couple of these sports that are actually starting. We'll push the NFL to the side for now. The NBA and the NHL. They're both going to be playing in bubbles. The NHL has two hub cities, bubble cities, and then the NBA is down in Orlando. And I honestly can say I feel really good about the sports that are going to be playing in the bubbles because – I don't know if you saw this, and we're going to talk about the basketball tournament later, but the basketball tournament played uh, their tournament in a bubble. Obviously, it's shorter than what the NBA or NHL uh, postseasons are going to look like. But with the constant testing and the protocol that they were able to execute, by the – I believe they said the third week inside the bubble, they were down to no coronavirus cases, and it stayed that way straight through to the end of the tournament. Incredible work. So – Basically, what the basketball tournament proved is the bubble works as long as everyone follows the protocols. Correct. And, that and that's, said, that, that's what it's designed to do. Like, right. we, need, we need universal buy-in uh, and some sacrifice from these guys to make it work for everyone. And really, at the current state of the nation, sports are going to give a lot of people some hope that has been just completely lacking for the last four months. So we yeah. need universal buy-in from these players, uh, particularly the NBA guys down in Florida where coronavirus is now – Florida is literally the epicenter of the entire world. That was yeah, one thing I was confused on, but you can, you can continue. I'll, I'll get my points in for sure. So, yeah. Uh, now, with that all being said, with the two bubbles right now, I feel great about the NHL because they're playing in Canada, and Canada uh, is a functional country who knows what they're doing. So they should be in great shape. Uh, the NBA is down in Orlando. That's definitely a little bit concerning. But honestly, and this is going to sound terrible, Curtis, but I don't know if you're going to agree or not. In terms of the NBA, I really am of the belief at this point, if LeBron James doesn't get coronavirus, we're going to finish the season. If LeBron got coronavirus, I think they'd shut it down because of the TV money. If LeBron's playing, they're just, they're just going to go through and they just actually don't care who else shows up. I don't disagree, and you and I have had conversations about this, so let's talk about the barriers. One, I think the NBA was a little bit reckless in being so steadfast on Orlando being their location. They said, oh, Disney World, money, ESPN, LeBron James, the whole nine. Like, just every type of meme you could throw into it, you can. It's, it's about money. So they were so steadfast on Orlando – when like, can we so, note something real quick disney world is open and i don't know if anyone like, which is absurd that, the, is, that is among the most ridiculous things that's happening is we have the nba and mls the entire leagues are playing in, at disney world and the park is open yeah so i don't know how sufficient this bubble actually is because like you have thousands of bodies coming in on the daily who may or may not have the coronavirus so as far as the nba their first misstep, I think, was Orlando. I, I texted you two months ago, and I said, if you're going to do a bubble, put it in Toronto. 
because go to like Wyoming or something. Like, give me a break. There's basketball courts everywhere. Just go to somewhere where there's nobody there. But but Toronto makes sense because Canada is an entire country right now is less than 300 cases per day. You can put a sufficient bubble in Canada and you can get all of the amenities, not all of the amenities you would in Disney World, but Toronto is New York City of Canada. Like Toronto is gorgeous and they have everything that you could want there. So if you're going to make a bubble, why wouldn't you go up to Toronto? Now the NHL thought smart enough, like, hey, let's put let's put one of our bubbles in Toronto, right? Our hub cities. But for the NBA, I thought it was just ridiculous that they committed to Orlando. And then over the last four weeks, while well, we've seen coronavirus literally spiral out of control in Florida, especially in Orlando, Tampa, and Miami, that the NBA did not come off of that and say, we need to re- rethink this location, postpone it two to four weeks, which is still feasible to get it in starting in August, and go to a different hub city. Because Disney World, to me, just makes absolutely no sense. And I think that's going to be a huge barrier because of the sports that are coming back um, in bubbles. So the MLB, or excuse me, the MLS, the NBA, and the uh, NHL, I think the NBA is going to by far have the most amount of players that do not give a shit about the bubble. You think J.R. Smith gives a shit about the bubble in Orlando? Well, okay. That would be my thing. <laughs> I agree with you. And so here's the thing. The NBA, I think honestly, like, they don't give a shit if J.R. Smith gets coronavirus. Like, does the NBA really care? The two guys who left quarantine the, and broke the rules or whatever, Rashawn Holmes and Bruno Cabalco. Most NBA fans have no idea who those two guys are. If those two were the if those are the type of guys who were getting coronavirus in the bubble, like, honestly, and not to sound like just completely insensitive to the whole situation, because coronavirus is extremely serious disease that we got going on here in this country but like nobody gives a shit if bruno cabalco is the one getting coronavirus in the nba bubble except for bruno cabalco bruno cabalco's family that's just the god's honest truth and so if lebron and Giannis and james harden aren't getting coronavirus and Kawhi, like we're playing the nba season it just don't it just doesn't matter and that sounds terrible but that's just the way the nba is built it's built on its stars and the rest of the guys are just along for a paycheck. Yeah, they're just like, along for the rest. That's just where we are. But here's the thing, right? We do have some NBA coaches and execs in Orlando. I think about Greg Popovich, Mike D'Antoni. Elvin uh, Gentry. Elvin Gentry. Those are the three oldest the... coaches in the NFL. Or in the NBA, excuse me. So those are all guys in their 60s, right? And... Not necessarily bad health, but we know that the coronavirus doesn't discriminate and it targets older people with way more serious ailments. Let's talk about Greg Popovich. You talk about one of the most iconic coaches in league history. If Greg Popovich dies of coronavirus in Florida, God forbid, is that what it's going to take to shut this down for me? Because I don't think there's a number, right? We could have. I got good news for you, though. Let me let me let me just finish my my take. Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. a number on confirmed cases, whether it's twenty, twenty five, fifty, um, of players slash staff getting COVID that it takes to shut the league down. I think that if somebody becomes very very seriously ill, 
and hospitalized on a ventilator or dies and the league has to address the PR aspect of that, it's almost unfathomable for the NBA to take a step back and say, well, they knew the risks going in when the NBA was essentially forcing the hand of all of these staff members to come and do their jobs. Like to me at that point, if you lose, if you lose Greg Popovich to coronavirus because you recklessly threw a bubble into the epicenter of coronavirus in the world right now, the NBA's image is going to be tarnished forever. Period. But you can go ahead. I, I, but is that the threshold in which we shut this down? Other than LeBron getting coronavirus. And you know what? You make a valid point. I think uh, the saving grace for the NBA is Greg Popovich going to be up out of that bubble really, really quick. He'll be there for about – he's got about three more weeks in the bubble, and then he can go home because the Spurs ain't making the damn playoffs. So Greg Popovich is going to go home, and Elva Gentry's probably going to be home too because the Pelicans probably ain't making it either. So, like, really – It'll only just be Mike D'Antoni, and the Rockets will probably lose early too. So, really, they just got to make it a couple of weeks, and then we'll be good to go. And that's when all the IG models are allowed to start coming down to the bubble, and that's when it'll really get interesting. Can't wait for that. Yeah, I don't don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how it's actually going to be a bubble. I don't know how much the players are going to care about it being a bubble. It's a fake bubble. Let's just just acknowledge that the Disney employees who are there working, even though they're at limited contact as much as possible, they're not – in the bubble. Like they're not forced to stay in the bubble. They can go in and out. I don't even, they might be fucking recycling employees, send them to the park one day, send them to the NBA bubble the next and the MLS bubble after that. I have no idea how that works. So uh, it's, it's a fabricated bubble really, but I think the early returns are no one has gotten coronavirus in the first week. Well, inside the bubble in the MLS or the NBA or from the basketball tournament so far. So in theory, it looks like for the most part, the bubble is doing its job. But where it's going to get interesting is because there's, I, I don't know if they ended up agreeing to this, but uh, as we advance in the playoffs, I know families are allowed to start coming out of the bubble and things of that nature. And that's when things can get real complicated because you know how some NBA players are. And Donovan Mitchell is going to be calling somebody up being like, yeah, this is my home girl. It's going to be some IG model who he's going to fly into the bu- bubble. And that's, it's just not going to work like that gets a little sketchy. So we'll see what happens. But I think the NBA in terms of the protocols they've put in place, I think it was really well thought out uh, with how they've broken it down. I think they've done a good job putting the protocols in place. We'll just see if the players are actually going to follow them. So far, we got a guy leaving the bubble so far to get postmates and stuff. So like it's been like four days. And that was kind of hilarious. We had Kelly Oubre, tweeting oh you can get postmates in the bubble this is lit like yada 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 and then Rashawn Holmes is like oh heard and he goes outside gets his postmates and then immediately gets axed for eight days uh for quarantine because he left the bubble like these guys are I just don't think they're understanding the bubble itself I don't know what the guidelines are myself as far as where they're allowed to go but I saw, like, Paul George was out catching slobs of largemouth bass with a teammate uh, on IG. So they must have access to a fishing spot within the bubble. I don't know how any of this works um, regarding yeah, – they, they, they do have uh, – they can fish, and there is a whole list of approved activities that they're allowed to do, and it's 
separated from everyone else and within the confines of the bubble. And fishing, let me tell you, apparently there's a lot of guys in the NBA who like fishing. I never would have known this, but there's been a lot of guys out fishing in yeah. the first few days of the bubble. I've been impressed with some of the fish we've seen caught. And good on them. Um, it's, it's great IG content, and I hope it's helping them maintain sanity because basketball is a game, don't get me wrong, but you don't want to be thinking about work 24-7. And for these guys, it is the job, and they're making it work down in the bubble. We'll see how it goes over the course of the next few weeks. I'm very... By the way, completely shameless plug. I don't feel bad about this all. Uh, if you like the NBA and you enjoy great content from the bubble, you should go on Twitter and follow at NBA Bubble Life because whoever made this account is doing a great job, and it's like my favorite follow on Twitter right now. I'm going to toss that a follow um, just based on your recommendation. I did not know this was a thing, so this is useful information. So it's at- great. We have all of the content straight out of the bubble. They've blown up. Uh, they have 87,000 followers just about now already, and they've been they've had all the – I don't know how they're keeping track of everything, but they've basically had a, like every time someone in the NBA posts from the bubble, they got it for you. Yeah. So other interesting news really quick. I wanted to talk about something going on tonight was the uh, NASCAR all-star race. So for those hoping that fans can return to stadiums, uh, Bristol motor speedway was the location for the all-star race. It's one of the biggest coliseums in the world. I think it holds up to 200,000 people, um, 150 maximum actually. They sold 30,000 tickets and had 30,000 fans at the all-star race tonight with social distancing protocols and guidelines and people coming as parties and people wearing masks. So we will see how the numbers look in a couple weeks in the Tennessee area, in the Kentucky area down where I'm at. But with the return of sports, I think NASCAR between Bristol and Talladega when they had a few thousand fans uh, a few weeks ago, is showing us that depending on the state, depending on the numbers in that region, and depending on the protocols that you institute, fans at stadiums might be a thing. Um, I don't know how responsible it is right now because we haven't seen the long-term returns. I think the key really is just distancing so fewer fans and, and having mask procedures and protocols in place to make it to make it viable so we're about to learn a lot from what happened at bristol tonight because if thirty thousand people get coronavirus this is just not going to be a good look for having fans in stadiums the rest of the way um so we talked about nba we talked about a little bit about nascar and what went on tonight yeah before you move on okay because i'm scrolling through twitter and okay. apparently some crazy shit's about to go down with the redskins really uh so there's I've seen now like three tweets about this. They're saying that the Redskins name change tomorrow is going to be old news. Cause apparently some crazy shit's going to come out about Dan Snyder, like all some crazy shit. They're saying sexual assault and drug and alcohol abuse. And Dan Snyder is going to get removed from being an owner. Really? That's, that's just what I'm reading. Wow. What? So, yeah. Well, can we get a source on this? Um, so there's nothing confirmed yet. People are saying that's going to be a Washington Post article tomorrow or Friday at the latest. Wow. Yeah, and the original leak was like on Reddit through Discord. Yeah, so, wow. Okay, um, that's kind of game-changing from the perspective of, one, I think Dan Snyder should have been out as the Washington uh, football team's 
owner a long time ago because he's incompetent, he's insensitive, and I don't think he's good for the brand of the NFL. Uh, two, I think that that's definitely bigger than the name change, unfortunately, because the name change to me, it's a big deal from the perspective of making the right call, but it's not a big deal from the perspective of this should have happened decades ago. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. I don't want to speculate without, without facts, but uh, apparently we got some, uh, some crazy shit happening. And this is why we record the show with our information centers being our cell phones at our fingertips at all times. We do need to move on though. Uh, so interesting bit from my co-host on on the yeah, National that, Football League team crazy. in Washington. I had no idea. It's absolutely insane. There. So we talked about the NBA. The MLB right now is a disaster. I, I don't know how much uh, you've been following. Last week, uh, I think Chris Bryant was a big name that spoke out on how inefficient testing has been. The MLB's testing protocols were as follows. So they set up testing hubs all around the country near all the home stadiums so that players could get tested every other day for the coronavirus to ensure uh, that players were not uh, positive, asymptomatic, and contagious coming to work. And we, we, you and I both agree that testing is a huge part of sports being sustainable for the fall. Well, it came out last week that players were going six, seven, eight days without getting a test when the protocol says two days. And not only were they going six days without getting a test done, they were going six days without getting their results, which is a huge issue because it forced teams like the Astros, the Nationals, um, I believe Cleveland as well, shut down their practices because they didn't have the results to confirm that it was okay to practice. So the MLB is come out with statements uh, from the league office saying 95% of testing has gone as planned. We're having a, a hiccup, but we have players like Chris Bryant, who uh, I wouldn't say he's the, one of the faces of the league uh, when it comes to guys like Trout and Garrett Cole, but he's definitely it's that unreasonable to say he's one of the faces of the league. He is. He's, he's an all-star MVP like two years ago. Okay. He's an like, all-star. Like he's, he's an MVP. MVP. He, I, but it's two years ago seems so long at this point. Well, so Chris, Chris Bryant, former MVP, World Series champion, all-star. The guy's one of the faces of the league. That's, okay, so Chris Bryant, one of the faces yeah. of the league, third baseman for the Chicago Cubs, comes out and says, well, I don't know the answers to all of these questions. And he talked about it in a very candid uh, press conference about all of the issues with the protocol. And it just made me think that the MLB, which is planning to restart next weekend, isn't sustainable with their plan to play at all 30 of the MLB stadiums and without testing being up to snuff. And this is something that still hasn't been fixed as of today, July 15th. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now the MLB is jokes. Let's just be real. Like the way they're running this is a clown show and the way they've handled pretty much the entire coronavirus pandemic in terms of them trying to reach the point where they can play a season is an absolute clown show. And it all goes back to Rob Manfred being without a doubt, the worst commissioner in uh, major North American professional sports. So just kind of going off of if the testing isn't going to work, this thing's not going to work. It's going to fall apart, especially when this is not a bubble situation. You know, we got the MLB or excuse me, the NBA and the NHL and the MLS testing eyes every single day. 
inside of a bubble, and the MLB can't get off more than one test a week, and they're going to be traveling across the country to play these games. And not just across the country, to Toronto still apparently too, because Toronto is going to play their games in Toronto, which just brings a whole nother disaster scenario to this of how you're going to handle the 14-day mandatory quarantine in Canada. No one's really given an answer on how they're handling that. Fun fact, fun fact. The U.S. border to Canada right now is closed because Canada has said, we don't want you here. The United States has been so awful at rejecting the science of containing the coronavirus that Canada has literally shut down the entire border uh, through, I believe, August 21st. So that's three weeks, four weeks after the MLB is slated to resume with players coming in and out of Toronto from (laughs) the MLB. I don't understand how this is going to work at all. I've said all along that Toronto should probably be playing in Buffalo because that makes sense. Either Buffalo or their spring training facility in Florida, which... Not Florida. Probably not ideal. <laughs> so, yeah, Buffalo seems to make the most sense. But, yeah, so at this point, the MLB is basically just looking at a complete disaster scenario. And they've also had, I think, probably the most guys of any sport opt out. Uh, the NHL, I know, has had a few guys opt out. And the NBA had a few guys opt out. Uh, but I think the MLB list has grown over 10 at this point with, you know, those numbers aren't even set in stone yet. And, you know, there's a guy like Freddie Freeman out there who had the has or had the coronavirus, one of the best players in baseball, all-star first baseman for the Atlanta Braves, and he hasn't even committed to playing yet this year. And, like, he's, he's probably a high-profile name uh, that's even considered withdrawing in any of the major sports to date. So, Really, the MLB and, you know, guys like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper haven't even committed to playing yet. And you want to talk about faces of Major League Baseball. I mean, there it is probably right there, those two guys. So baseball is in a really bad spot. And they're already looking at their shortened season. And, you know, what I said tonight, talking about this with somebody, Curtis, is the MLB is definitely going to start. I just don't know that it's going to finish. Yeah. And I think the MLB even more so to the NFL, which is ridiculous to think about. I think the MLB gives me the biggest cause for concern because I feel like their plan to to not to restart, but to start was rushed because of the financial component. They, they realized we can't lose a season and in rushing to come to an agreement, they overlooked some of these protocols without actually having the facilities and just the overall resources that they need to get this done. So the MLB, if you were to ask me, I think it's the least likely of all of the major sports to finish a season in 2020. Um, But (laughs) again, the dollar is the bottom line. So at what threshold for the MLB do we think our player is going to pull the plug? The MLBPA is going to back out um, of the agreement if they can. Like, at what point? I don't know the force majeure clauses in these in these season startups restarts uh, that the players have on their side regarding coronavirus as an unforeseen issue regarding uh, being able to play. So, for me, I just don't understand at all how the MLB is going to get through even 60 games plus a postseason 
given their current overall state of just not having the resources that a major league needs to play. Do you have any thoughts on the MLB, Michael? Ah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, closing thoughts for baseball. They're rolling with like a 60-man, not even a 60-man roster. So they have a 60-man player pool, which also just is a disaster. So I want you to just listen to this, Curtis. Ready? So they got 60 guys that are at their disposal, but only 25 are going to be with the team at a time uh, once we get a couple weeks into the season. So basically, or 26, excuse me, which is the regular MLB roster size uh, as of this season. And if guys get hurt, you know, normally you would call someone up for AAA. Obviously, there is no AAA season. So now it's just going to be you pluck a guy from the player pool of 60. But the interesting thing that I've heard nothing about is the other 35 guys, where the hell are they going while the major league team is playing? Because you're not traveling around the country with 60 guys. That's just not going to happen. So... There's, I don't even know if there's a protocol in place for what they do with the other 35 guys. So if we got a team that has nine guys get coronavirus and they just go pluck nine dudes out of the 35 that were out at the beach in Florida yesterday, like I just don't know how that's going to go very well. Yeah, and so I, <laughs> I think that the MLB is at the greatest risk for league imbalance um, based on the amount of guys who have already said they're not playing. And it's most of the guys who don't need the uh, league year for their free agent eligibility or contract situation. Um, And I don't know just as far as the logistics of the resources available with testing and uh, giving teams the opportunity to be as safe as possible in all 30 MLB cities. I just don't see this actually working uh, and being played to completion, which is why I mentioned at the top that we as fans need to be okay with the idea of season starting, but not finishing here in 2020, because all of this is very non-guaranteed. We need to move on for the sake of time. Real quick, my favorite thing with the MLB, by the way, is because it's a 60 game as opposed to a 162 game season is if we do, you know, hypothetically play this entire season, which I don't think either of us thinks is going to happen, but if they do, someone really bad is going to make the playoffs because they got oh, yeah. off to a really hot start because someone gets off to a hot start every year. I don't know. I know you're not a big baseball guy, but just for no. some context of last year, the last year's world series champions were the Washington nationals through 60 games. The nationals were below 500 and were not in the playoffs. They would have not made the playoffs in a 60-game season. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, who finished as one of the worst teams in baseball last year, were a playoff team and among the leaders in their division, who, which features the Houston Astros, one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, the Mariners were right up there with the Astros through about 60 games last year. The Mariners ended up being a complete dumpster fire. Yeah, so 60 games is really, really a random sample size for baseball, and it's going to be very interesting. I'm, I hope the Orioles win the World Series. <laughs> I mean, everything is on the table right now. As as far as competitive balance, there might be a complete shift where this smaller sample size does give teams uh, an opportunity to get into the playoffs for the first time in a long time if you're a team like the Orioles. Again, it's just going to be such a weird season. And I honestly, personally, I would not asterisk 
any of it because I know that there are going to be baseball purists who are like, oh, 60 games, it's not a big enough sample size. My, my take is I know baseball is a fluky game and failing 70% of the time is considered a big success, but you need to show up to play every goddamn day. So if teams aren't doing that out of the gate, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. It's going to be a really different season. And you need to prioritize and really focus on that first month of the season. If any sport so, doesn't get to talk about asterisks, it's baseball because the last two World Series champions both got caught cheating. And they also have multiple – they have a season where they didn't even crown a World Series champion. So really, baseball's got no room to talk asterisks because they're a disaster when it comes to this stuff anyways. Absolutely. Let's move so, on. So if we have the Orioles or the Mariners win the whole thing, we're actually going to be really stoked about that. Quick note on the NHL, just all I'm going to say. The NHL – Big applause because when we, we were talking about <laughs> possible solutions, my solution for the NHL was go to Canada because they're getting it right. And you have the hubs with the seven teams that play in Canada. And you said, eh, that, that sounds good in theory, but, but no, they did it. So sh- kudos to the I NHL. I just didn't think they were going to do it. I thought for sure they were going to stick one in Vegas. <laughs> And you know what, Gary Batman, you're not usually great at your job, but you did this right. So he got it. You. He got it right. So I, I I'm gonna, uh, you know, pat my own back for for calling this out. Uh, first season of Guys Like Sports back in April, May, and I'm gonna give the NHL the nod because again, it was skepticism that they would actually pull the trigger and go to a, a smaller market like Edmonton. Uh, Toronto is obviously a big market, especially for their their uh, respective sport. But moving forward, so we, we talked a lot about COVID, but we have a very positive sample size from the basketball tournament that happened uh, recently, and it was, it was pretty good television. Uh, the quality of the game was pretty good. I have just a couple takeaways. I know you were way more invested in it than I was uh, because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm new job, just moved, uh, have a lot going on. You to your credit, had just moved, but I know you had still uh, been primarily focused. Every day I was at work. I'm just going to be honest. It was on yes. every single day. You, you had that opportunity to be focused on the return of a sport, and you took it. So uh, the basketball tournament, I think, was a really unique microcosm of how the sports in these bubbles can work upon their return from the COVID-19 break. So I thought it went really well. I think you said the last two weeks of the tournament, they had no confirmed coronavirus cases, which is huge for just sustainability purposes. And the guys involved really bought in. I think the basketball tournament, they were playing for what? A $1 million prize. Um, yeah. That's that's pennies compared to what NBA players are making. So if given the circumstances are completely different, if guys in the basketball tournament can buy into this exposure driven thing and obey the protocols and uh, make some sacrifices for the greater good, maybe it will work with the bigger leagues. Um, I'm significantly less worried about the NHL hubs because there's a way lower risk threshold, but Maybe it will work with the NBA. What are your thoughts on what we saw play out over the last few weeks? Let's start with the coronavirus of the of the basketball tournament. Like I said, it went really well there. They did have to send a couple teams to home in the beginning. They did narrow the field. Normally, it's a 64-team tournament. And over the last couple of years, they had actually upped it to, I believe, a $2 million prize. They dropped it down this year, 24 teams uh, and only a $1 million prize. And you had 
once you were in the bubble, you had to stay in the bubble. They limited how many people could come in from each team and, again, limited how many teams were there, but it, it worked. They had, uh, I believe they said 38 cases uh, testing positive when they were arriving, so cases that were from outside of the bubble. And inside the bubble, they within a week or so, they had it down to like seven, and then through through the end, it was zero. So they did a really good job. And ESPN, props to them, they uh, were covering this event. They, you know, had uh, some people there in the bubble as well. All followed the protocol to a T. So props to basketball tournament being, you know, obviously this isn't a a huge tournament, but it's a tournament. It's been it has a little bit of a pedigree. It's I believe the sixth year this year. And they were able to put this together and do a really good job, even under these circumstances. So big props to them. Let's talk about some of the action, though, because I haven't talked about actual sports being played in forever. So I want to talk about it because I watched the shit out of this tournament, to be honest. Uh, And I do want to say the quality of basketball in this tournament was really good. Uh, There was a lot of of familiar names if you're a basketball guy. And uh, you go through the rosters, former D1 players, some guys who uh, have moonlighted in the NBA for some brief periods, and then the big headliner, which was Joe Johnson, uh, who played in the NBA for 18 years, obviously. A lot of good guys coming over from overseas, teams and different leagues of that nature. Uh, the team that ended up winning was the uh, Golden Eagles, which is the Marquette alumni team. They defeated uh, Sideline Cancer in the finals, and it was, a, it was a great game. And as the tournament progressed and if you've ever watched a basketball tournament before, you know this. As they get deeper in the tournament, all these teams are really evenly matched, and the games are fantastic. And my favorite thing. So, for those of you who watched the NBA All-Star game this year, you will remember the way they ended the game was a, a unique way. They played to a target score. It was a little bit different than anything we'd ever seen with the NBA game. That whole idea actually originates in the basketball tournament. So, and let me tell you, it's it's become it's really growing on me. Like I'm to the point where I kind of want to see it in NBA and Division One basketball for overtimes at least, where if they play to a target score because it is really really exciting coming down the stretch of a game. And there were some crazy comebacks in this tournament. Uh, it was a one where uh, heard that which was the Marshall alumni team was down 18 points heading into the Elam ending, and they were able to come all the way back and win the game. And every ending to a game is like a buzzer beater. So it's it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, props to this Golden Eagles team. They actually lost in the championship last year. And they, uh, as an organization, they had the second most wins in the history of the basketball tournament. They, they had never won. So they finally get over the hump. They pick up a win. Uh, most notable guy on this team, probably Darius Johnson Odom. Played at Marquette, obviously. Uh, he was in the NBA for a while. I think he was a former second-round pick of the Dallas Mavericks. Correct. Yeah. And it was it really was just a great tournament to watch overall. There was a lot of good good talent in here. There was and I do want to say it, there's some guys playing this tournament that should be in the NBA. That should be at the bubble right now. Like they should, like, be, they should be in Orlando. So my big can I are you wrapping up? I don't know. Yeah, you can go ahead. Okay. So my biggest takeaway, Marcus Keene, who played at Central Michigan. I thought coming out in the draft, I, I was it 2018 or 19 that he came out uh, and declared. I believe I th- 19. So last year, just last year, he was he was slated to be a rookie. I thought he was more than good enough to be a second round pick because the guy can do ridiculous things with the basketball in his hands. His handles are elite. He can score like no tomorrow, and he's like 
he's like that bench point guard type that can light it up. I mean, he's like miniature Lou Williams to me. So I know Lou Williams is a shooting guard. Don't at me. So when I looked at Marcus Keene, I saw a lot of Lou Williams, some, a little bit of Isaiah Thomas when we talk about smaller guys that can get it done because Keene is only 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and people criticize him for his height. I am here to say that I am sick of the NBA being a height supremacist organization because Marcus Keene deserves a spot on an NBA roster. And we saw it throughout the basketball tournament. I watched two games with Keene in it and he dropped a 25 piece in, in both games while getting his teammates involved and looking like he wasn't even trying. I think that if Isaiah Thomas can put together a good run as an NBA all-star <laughs> as uh, Mr. Relevant in the draft, 60th overall pick for the Kings in, I think, 2010, 2011. Marcus Keene should have gotten drafted, and it's ridiculous that this is a guy who didn't get a shot when a year or two ago he was one of the top five scorers in Division One college basketball, and that's 300 teams' worth of a sample size. So Marcus Keene looked really good. I'm sick of height supremacy being a thing in the NBA. I understand we're moving toward this era of positionless basketball, but listen to me, outside of LeBron James, Giannis, and Kawhi, and KD, it is a guard-driven league, and Marcus Keene can freaking ball. So that was one of my takeaways. My other takeaway was that Joe Johnson at age 40, 41, looked really good <laughs> against guys who were prospective NBA talents. Joe Johnson, he's still ISO Joe. He's still got it. He's still amazing on the fadeaway. Uh, he, I watched a game where he dropped close to 30, and I was just like, ah, oh, it's the same old Joe Johnson. And this is why he was able to last in the NBA for 18 years. So first, put some respect on Joe Johnson's name, only 39. Um, two years removed from being in the NBA. Joe Johnson's a ball, and uh, there's no doubt about it. And really, the only reason, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be honest. Marcus Keene and Joe Johnson are both NBA level scorers. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And the reason neither one of them has an NBA job right now is because of just how big of a defensive liability both of them are. And it's the same reason why Isaiah Thomas right now doesn't have an NBA job either. And it's unfortunate, but you just unless you average 30 like IT did for that year for the Celtics, you just can't be that big of a defensive liability, unfortunately. Well, yeah, but Marcus Keene should be at least in the G League, and he could definitely, you know, on a two-way deal, there's no reason you couldn't have him on something like that because, you know, he reminds me a lot of a guy who is in the NBA and did exactly what he did pretty much uh, at the Division One level is Chris Clemens, who is a guy who went to a yep. small Division One school, Campbell. absolutely lit it up. And he's on the Rockets on a two-way deal. I think that's absolutely a role Marcus Keene could fulfill in the NBA. I don't know if he could be a consistent guy on your bench, but there's no reason he shouldn't be on the end of somebody's bench and he could come in, you know, in a spot if you need him and get you buckets. I, I think Marcus Keene's ceiling. I think he's quick enough in just watching him. And, and obviously this is a biased sample. It's a small sample size watching the basketball tournament. And obviously it's not the same quality basketball as the NBA, but I think he's quick enough to not be a total defensive liability while he's in his prime. Like when he gets to 30, 32 and he loses a step, then yeah, the size becomes a huge liability. But guys like Allen Iverson were able to do it for so long because he was quick enough to get steals and not be a defensive liability. And I'm not comparing Keen to Allen Iverson, but 
being cut from that cloth where you're undersized and you have good handles, you can skip buckets and you're quick enough to make plays on the defensive end of the ball. Sign me up. Like if you're looking at organizations and I know you're not disagreeing with any of this, but you're telling me the Orlando magic or the Cleveland Cavaliers or the goddamn New York Knicks shouldn't take a chance on a guy like Marcus Keene, who's upside for a few years could be all-star Isaiah Thomas. What's the logic in this guy playing in the basketball tournament and not being on at least a G League roster? Like you said, it's kind of mind boggling to me. So that was kind of my main takeaway was I thought Marcus Keene might've been the best guy playing in that tournament and he just looked really good. So do you have any closing thoughts on the basketball tournament, Mike? Oh, I just want to say, there's like we were talking about, there's a lot of guys who could really play that played in the basketball tournament. And uh, something that, surprised me and it shouldn't have surprised me but it kind of just caught me off guard initially there was a lot of guys playing this tournament who just wrapped up uh playing division one this past season of college basketball that unfortunately got robbed of playing in an ncaa tournament so it was good i I was really happy to see some of those guys able to go out there was a couple guys on the uh, dayton alumni team that were fresh off of the dayton team that was robbed of a birth of the ncaa tournament this year and so they would have been guys, a one or a two seed, Dayton. Right. And so for those guys who probably – maybe they don't have NBA futures, but they have professional futures at some level, I'm glad they were able to kind of get that tournament, you know, winner, winner moves on, loser goes home experience that they were robbed of in the NCAA tournament, at least to some extent, through the basketball tournament. Yeah, I, I think that the basketball tournament has a really bright future. I think all of these sub-leagues of – um I would call it pro-am basketball where you have guys who are professional caliber um, and guys who are just amateur street ballers coming together to put out a really good product. When you look at things like the basketball tournament and the big three are really, really interesting case studies for what the sport of basketball can do, because I think basketball is expanding at a rate uh, worldwide and globally that other sports simply aren't. So it's just another avenue toward exposure. And there's definitely going to be um, players who take avenues uh, into overseas professional leagues or the G League uh, and potentially the NBA that come out of these tournaments. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, there was lots of reports and they mentioned on the broadcast that uh, there was NBA scouts that were either in the bubble in Orlando or, uh, waiting to go down to the bubble in Orlando that were watching the basketball tournament. And there was there were some eyeballs on these guys, especially being the only sport really going besides, uh, you know, PGA and NASCAR on a limited basis. But this was going pretty much every day. So they got a lot of eyeballs on them. And uh, a lot of these guys who, you know, a lot of these guys have professional contracts uh, to some extent, either overseas or uh, G League or what have you. But uh, there was a lot of guys in this tournament who probably earned themselves a contract. So uh, I think that's really good for them. And obviously, again, congrats to that Golden Eagles team for getting over the hump and getting that $1 million prize. Absolutely. Shout out Marquette, uh, one t- home of Dwayne Wade. I- How lit would have been? Would it have been for Dwayne Wade to be a part of that team? I think it would have been extravagant. But So I don't know if you know this. They actually had Dwayne Wade on during one of the broadcasts. It was the uh, Golden Eagles against Team CP3, which okay. is Chris Paul's team that he enters into the tournament. And they brought Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade, obviously, uh, well-documented, good friends, those guys. Or they brought him on during the broadcast, and they asked Dwayne Wade about it. They said, Dwayne, you know, are we going to get you out here uh, next year maybe on the Golden Eagles team? He said, nobody wants to see that. 
<laughs> I disagree because I think I'd Dwayne, love to see it. Dwayne Wade, I think he can ball at the same level as a Joe Johnson, uh, even in retirement. So I, I think everybody would like to see some D Wade. As long as he's not robbing Aaron Gordon of another dunk title, put him in the fucking TBT. So uh, I think that's going to about wrap up our first show. And it felt pretty good to be back, Mike. Uh, do you have any closing statements, regards, uh, wise words for our listeners at home before we we wrap up this, the first episode of season two of Guys Like Sports? Wear a mask, bro. Wear a mask, bro. You heard it from the mouth of babes. Wear a mask, okay? Uh, when it comes to COVID, <laughs> it's New York State right now. It should be the only case study that we need. Went from the epicenter of the world. Uh, they also have gotten the virus under control in a timeline that nobody else has, which is absolutely incredible to me. Uh, so some props need to go out to uh, Cuomo for a data science uh, driven approach. Again, this is not a political issue. This is a humanistic uh, public health issue. So wear a mask, take care of yourself, take care yeah, of I'll others. Say, I hate you. wearing the masks, but science don't lie. It works, man. Just, we want, we all listen. If you're listening to this podcast, you like sports, which means you want sports back just like me and Curtis do. So wear the ma- and then we can maybe, maybe one day we can go to sporting events again, Curtis, maybe one day. People 30,000 packed into Bristol, Tennessee tonight, but Tennessee is not Florida right now. We got three NFL franchises. We got baseball franchises, uh, an NBA bubble in the state of Florida. Wear a goddamn mask so we can get these seasons in. Uh, if, as always, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you should absolutely do that. We're at guys like sports underscore on Instagram. We're at guys like sports, uh, you know, shoot us a message or a tweet on Twitter. Uh, check us out on IG. Uh, and yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, for my co-host, Michael Rose, I'm Curtis Henry. We're out.